This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, it's on. It's election day in the U.S., but it probably won't all hinge on what happens today. Nearly a hundred million people have already voted, and that is more than two-thirds of the entire vote total in the last election in 2016. The question is, will all those votes be counted? The president is fanning the flames of doubt, saying anything counted After today, smacks of fraud, lawyers are standing by and hanging over everything. There is a fear of violence. No wonder the American Psychological Association reports that 68% of Americans are finding this election to be a significant source of stress. There's also a massive fear of poll predictions after pollsters failed to pick up on Trump's late surge last time. Most polls are predicting a Biden victory. It all apparently hinges on a few battleground states. So let's get to it and let's hear from you. Are you uh, glued to the U.S. election today? Does it matter to you? Do you have a strong preference and uh, what difference do you think it'll make for Canada? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And we will be going to our crack strategy ca- uh, panel. And according to our resident liberal, our other two panelists share more than a conservative viewpoint. Okay, so happy birthday, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. Actually, it was yesterday. It was. It was indeed. Thanks a lot. And just know that Karen is much, much younger than I am. (laughs) And, and, And thank you for the heads up, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Thanks. Thanks, Charles. That was fun. Charles? Huh? Charles? He's bashful in his praise of... uh, And the the board says he's with us. I don't think it's any coincidence they were both born on the same day. Okay, you don't? (laughs) There we go. (laughs) The Scorpios. I I feel another conspiracy theory coming on. (laughs) It's got its own website. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So, uh, let's get right to the election. The polls, most of them, almost all of them, are predicting a Biden victory. And yesterday, I talked to the uh, the CEO who runs Polly, which is the AI uh, poll predictor, which has a very good track record. And uh, she also thinks it's going to be Biden. Are these predictions a little too confident? John, let's start with the birthday boy. 
<laughs> Thanks again, Libby. Um, you know what? I, I don't think that they're wrong. I think that we just have to be careful when it comes to polls, even our polls. Um, you know, people are uh, just the way things have evolved over the last little while, a number of decades, quite frankly, when, when of course, everybody used to have a landline and, and pollsters used to call the landline and, you know, most people would be, would be, would, would respond and, and everything. So polling back in the day was a little bit more uh, precise in some ways, but now people don't have landlines. They have cell phones. Uh, online, you know, polling is, is predisposed to folks who are maybe younger versus the ones that are maybe a bit more, a bit older. So polling is always a bit difficult nowadays to uh, to predict. But that said, if a number of polls, uh, a number of pollsters all have a certain trend uh, in mind, as we see in the U.S., then then obviously I think Biden does have the hand. Although, you know what, I just. I just don't know with respect to uh, the, the, the what they call the shy or the hidden Trump supporters. You know, the fact that he gets 30,000 people at rallies is not insignificant. The fact that he's got these organic rallies that, that pop up on, you know, boat rallies and car rallies and, and whatnot, those are things that you have to sort of not, you can't ignore them because that is organic kind of rallying and enthusiasm that is far more intense than what than what Biden has. So I wouldn't put anything past the fact that there's a lot of folks who might not have said yes to voting for Trump by way of a poll who are showing up. And we'll know today if the lineups are excessive, that's a good sign for Trump. Uh, yeah, the the uh, the wisdom is that Republicans are voting today and more Democrats voted Early, this business of a shy Trump vote. I mean, all those uh, thousands of people at those rallies certainly aren't shy. I I would have thought that people might be shyer about saying they're going to vote for Joe Biden, uh, especially given the reaction of some Trump enthusiasts. Charles. Well, a big voter turnout usually indicates a big desire for change, and so the question is, can Trump activate? millions of voters who have never voted before, who didn't vote in 2016. That really is his last chance, because if that's the case, that would indicate that a good number of pollsters are off and off consistently, as was the case in 2016. That said, this is no 2016. The Electoral College map, which is what decides who will be the president, is definitively leaning towards Biden. Um, There's some talk that Biden could win Georgia. And if Biden wins Georgia, Trump can take Nevada, he can take Arizona, he can take Texas, he can take Florida, he can take North Carolina, he can even take Pennsylvania, and he loses. That's how much the, the, the Electoral College map is stacked against Donald Trump at the moment. Karen, I mean, uh, it seems to me that the, the Democrats are also counting on people who've never voted before, younger people who would be more inclined to vote for the Biden ticket. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Libby. There's no question that the Democrat strategy has been to get people that are Democrat out to vote when they didn't actually in 2016 for Hillary for whatever reason. Um, many of that support didn't actually show up at the polls. And I think there are a couple interesting dynamics here at play that weren't in play in 2016. Uh, Number one, as Charles referenced, there is a huge voter turnout. 100 million people have voted. And throughout all the polling that was done, there it the the consistency of people who've already made up their mind, there was a very, very small undecided vote. Like the voters that are undecided, that was 
most people had decided how they were going to vote. It was just a matter of when they were going to vote and how they were going to vote. And so that that would lead me to believe that since Joe Biden has been leading in decided vote support, that the people who actually said they'd vote for Joe actually came out and did. And I think the other thing that is different this this election is that, uh, you know, in 2016, Trump played a very smart strategic game of knowing he wasn't going to win the popular vote, which he didn't. But he he was he was strategic in showing up in states that mattered for electoral college votes, and he won those. But this is a very different election, and the Democrats understand the importance of campaigning in those states. And so I think that the Democrats have run a smarter campaign. I don't know if they have a better candidate, but they've run a smarter campaign for sure. And there is a desire for change in America. Well, yeah, I I think, uh, Charles, that observation is probably right. John, do you agree that uh, big voter turnout means a desire for change? Yeah, typically it does. I think typically people that that want are are sort of are charged or enthused about wanting to uh, wanting to switch the government. Uh, it happens, I think. What we saw in some of the cases here in, in Canada and in Canadian context, and, and, and more specifically in Toronto, when Rob Ford was running for uh, for mayor, uh, and many people didn't give him you know a chance of, of winning. I remember you know we, we had an office pool, and I was and I was one well, only one that said that Rob was going to win become mayor, and I and I said that only because I saw. The people that were lined up uh, at the polling stations, uh, and and I saw that I realized that they're not the typical voters that you would normally see, uh, and that folks were taking time off work and and off their uh, off their uh, you know assembly lines and whatnot. They were blue collar workers who might not have you know voted in the past who came out to vote for Rob Ford. So those were new time voters, and because of that, Rob became the mayor. Um, so so there is something about voters and, and lining up and how many people are enthused by it. But I also, I would caution about this particular one because, you know, we're hearing that um, with respect to Joe Biden in the polls, and obviously I, I think it's his to lose in, some, uh, in a matter, but um, there are also, the demographics play a huge part in, in, in who becomes president in the U.S. There was a political article that came out that said there's 3,141 counties in the U.S., and they, they say that only 21 of those counties can be can actually make a huge difference in who becomes the president. And those 21 counties are in 12 states. That's all. And we've talked about the battleground states and some of the some of the swing states that are happening. But Trump visited all of those in the last you know two months, uh, almost in some cases three times. Uh, in Michigan, he was there three or four times, and, and in Florida, he was there four or five times. Like so, he is he is laser focused on trying to get those. And in each of those, they had rallies that were beyond the number. So again, it comes down to, are they voting? Because, you know, rallies don't necessarily translate into votes, but they translate into enthusiasm, which can translate into votes. And that's what we're going to have to see. But, um, but yeah, so it's going to be an interesting night. I don't, I don't know. Some people say that it's either going to be a blowout either way, and we'll, we'll determine it tonight, or others will say it'll be a lot longer by way of the, uh, the mail-in ballots and stuff. So I, I tend to think it's the latter. Okay, uh, and if it is the latter, what do you make of Trump? Trump has been trying to delegitimize votes that are counted after tonight, uh, as a lot of the mail-in ballots are, and and in some states, it's actually their own law that they are not allowed to start counting those votes until today. And uh, Trump, I'm sure, knows this. But uh, what do you think the impact uh, of of the things that he said about voter fraud, about vote fraud, and uh, also about uh, in the past, he said, you know, if he loses, it's fraud. What What is the impact of all of that? 
Charles? Um, I suppose the ultimate impact is more of the same, which is just the discrediting of the American political system and uh, the debasing of the social fabric of American democracy. And we've seen a lot of that over the last four years. I think there is some possibility that if Trump is able to win Florida and hold on to some of his core seats, and on the basis of delayed of votes being mailed in in both Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, uh, a lot of which will only be counted after Election Day, there is some possibility that Trump will um, win Florida, North Carolina, Texas, uh, and actually be leading at some point tonight in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, and because the, the mail-in vote hasn't been counted, in which case he might declare victory. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think, I think um, Joe Biden is going to emerge as the winner tonight. It's going to be quite definitive. I think the bigger question are states like Georgia, states like Arizona, which have traditionally been just hardcore Republican for decades, actually finally making the big switch to the Democratic column as a result of demographic changes. And if that happens, that's going to rewrite the electoral map of the United States for a generation. And then look at Texas. That's 38 electoral college votes alone. That has been solidly, solidly Republican. There is some possibility on the basis of the amazing turnout we've seen, uh, plus very robust Senate races, that Texas could go Democratic tonight. And if that happens on top of the, just the debacle of the previous four years under Donald Trump, Republicans will be in very, very dire straits for years to come. I want to talk about the demographics a bit, and you're talking about Florida. Well, last time, older voters who vote in disproportionately high numbers uh, were solidly behind Trump, but a lot of them have turned against them because of the pandemic, because he's been dismissing it, and it's uh, very dangerous for older people. So um, how do you see, Karen, the the role of the older vote? And I'm, I'm also wondering, with, with such a huge turnout, does that kind of drown out that voice, even though obviously they are crucial in a state like Florida? Yeah, I, I think that there are, again, two things happening. I mean, the overwhelming uh, early voting uh, is significant in that it's hard to de- delegitimize the election when so many, 100 million people came out to cast their vote. Uh, that just speaks to the fact that it's just that much harder to say that, that there's any voter fraud. And you can, I mean, you can have a debate about whether to count the ballots that came in after, but it actually doesn't matter because so many people have exercised their right to vote. And the seniors will as well because they do and they can be relied on to continue to do that. And I think it is significant that a number of seniors uh, won't be voting for Trump because of his response to the pandemic and also recognizing that health care is, is an issue in a way that I think Americans didn't appreciate even four years ago and how important it is to the stability of the country having people people being able to access health care is so critical. And so I, I do think that there will be a shift in older voters. I think that, again, just the sheer volume of people that are exercising the right to vote will make any kind of claim that it's, it's been a fraudulent election, to be frank. Right. But I think what he's saying is that if you count votes after it's fraudulent and, mm-hmm. and there have been all kinds of shenanigans, I have to say, we've had Republican governors in big states only allowing one drop off box. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that actually drove the early turnout. I, I really do, because people wanted to make sure that this 
that there wasn't that kind of shenanigans at the conclusion of the election, that they wanted to make sure that their vote for Trump or Biden was cast. And so I, I think it makes it harder when so many people have cast so many ballots to say that there was fraud. Um, what do you think, John, about the, the role of those shenanigans? There's, there's been a, a fear of violence. The other day, there was this incident where uh, some pro-Trump people, uh, they stopped a, a Biden bus from getting to where it was going. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's those kinds of tactics and, and the verbiage that I think it's just everybody riled up. I think if if the president, you know, we, we said this a number of times, if he was conducting himself differently, I think people would have voted again for him based on policy. But it's just these kind of tactics, I think, that drive uh, people crazy. But I think Karen is right, though. I think a lot of that early voting uh, was a, a combination of COVID, not knowing if things were going to get worse or what was going to happen, but also, I think, the fear that there was going to be some level of violence or, or, or some disruption of some sort on the day of. So people wanted to get in and get in early and get their vote in. So I don't know if it's all going to be, you know, or the vast majority of them are going to be for, for Biden. I think a lot of them are Republicans because of that. But, but I think that those kind of antics don't help. But I, you know, my sense to Libby is that, you know, you've got some pretty baked in voters. Uh, there's very few undecideds. In fact, you know, the networks always make a joke about, you know, trying to find an undecided voter, yeah. uh, in, uh, in, in, in the mix. I think people, that are voting for Trump will vote for Trump no matter what he says, no matter what he does, no matter what his team does or, or what folks do, and, and the same with, with Biden. Um, so I think that, that it doesn't have, it has minimal effect, but it does create, I think, a bit of um, uh, just disruption, quite frankly, that, that we're going to see tonight and, and beyond, hopefully not, uh, for the sake of Americans and for the sake of the democratic process. But, you know, it does sow some seeds of, of, of doubt into people's minds that, well, wait a second, there were ballots that were thrown away. There was, you know, a state that had an election where ballots were, you know, were, were sent to the wrong people and, and companies that admittedly did it wrong. So there's enough of those little scenarios that that people will say, well, maybe Trump is right. Maybe this is rigged against him. And I think that's going to be the biggest fear of what comes out if this is a close election. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I just saw a story on a website called Axios, which is very good. And it reported that on the weekend, there was an off-the-record call between senior military officials. It was called by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and it was the, the news anchors of the major networks. And it was to reiterate that the military would have no role in this election because people are apparently afraid that the military, <clears throat> excuse me, might intervene. And uh, there was also a, a, a comment apparently that Biden made on Trevor Noah's comedy show where he said that if, if Trump refused to accept a, a, a Biden victory, the military would remove him from the White House. But there have been, I mean, it it is to me staggering that it comes to that that the military is is doing an off the record thing to say hey we are apolitical. Yeah, I and I think that does speak to what John and Charles mentioned too about how Donald Trump has debased the office of the president to the point where it's now like mil- military gets called in in a third world country when they're when they don't have an orderly transition of government. That's not what you think of when you think of the United States of America. So just the very fact that these conversations have devolved to this level of discourse shows how badly Trump has treated the office of the presidency. 
Okay, well, that's, I mean, that seems to be a Canadian consensus, but uh, those rallies show us that is uh, by no means, uh, you know, the consensus in the United States. It's very, very divided. Um, so uh, let me ask this, uh, Charles, I think you were just saying that you think it's it's not going to go long. Uh, what do the rest of you think? Is it is it going to be a decisive victory tonight or close? My my sense, Libby, is this. I think that um, the popular vote is probably going to go overwhelmingly to Biden, I, I just much, much like we did last time in 2016, where the where the Hillary Hillary won the popular vote by three million or, or so votes. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but around there. Um, so I think he'll he'll win the popular vote, but it really is the battleground states. And then, as Charles said, there's a few states that you might want to look at. Georgia being one, uh, and and you know Wisconsin and, and Michigan. There's a few of those states that, if those results come in uh, for Biden, um, you know, depending on how much the voter, how much the vote differential is, it could be a quick night. It could be one that where it's pretty decisive for for Biden if, if the electoral college votes gets north of 300. Uh, or so. Um, but if we're getting into that differential of, of electoral college votes where it's five or six uh, apart, I think you're going to see a lot of contesting and, and sort of questioning whether or not, you know, some of these mail-in ballots are going to come. So I think it's going to be a bit beyond tonight. Uh, okay. And Karen, what do you think? Yeah, I think, if you know, if Biden gets Texas and Florida, then I, I don't think there's much left to discuss, to be, mm. <laughs> to be candid, because that will really indicate a shift in the public around the direction of the White House and who should be leading the country. Um, you know, it, again, like the Trump team, you know, Trump aside, the Trump team has always been extremely strategic in identifying a pathway to victory in the face of what seems to be um, a certain defeat. And uh, but this time, I think it's just it's just too hard. Now, you know, again, it, it could come down to Michigan and Pennsylvania and, uh, you know, those 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 five electoral college votes could decide. But I don't I don't think so. I really don't. But uh, I think we'll know more once we see how Florida votes, to be honest. OK, well, apparently, like it, if he wins one of uh, Biden, that is uh, Georgia, Florida or North Carolina, he's really, really in an excellent position once mm-hmm. that happens. Mm hmm. Uh, so we are waiting with bated breath. Um, what about us? What about Canada? I mean, uh, you know, I think that just from, uh, I don't know, the way uh, Donald Trump comports himself, most Canadians don't like him very much. But the fact is that Joe Biden is also a protectionist and uh, he is uh, against fracking and pipelines. Uh, so w- what could this be in, in terms of a result for Canada? John? Well, I, I, that'll be interesting to see. I think with, with if, if Trump wins again, obviously, the, the good news is is that the prime minister and his team have been able to handle the, the, the president for the last four years, so they'll know uh, how to deal with him, you know, moving forward. Although it'll be difficult because, of course, he's in a, he's in a lame duck session uh, that the president, you know, for, not having to go for re-election. But I think It'll be if Biden wins. I think it'll be a little bit more easier to deal with by way of of, of being more rational in in some ways and stuff. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I I actually agree with you, Libby. I think there's going to be a protectionist mode no matter who wins, and I think that'll be a challenge for Canada. And also from a foreign affairs perspective and how we deal with foreign affairs issues with a Biden victory. 
Uh, yeah, it was interesting. I think Trump just made another sort of anti-Canada uh, uh, remark the other day. You know, he was saying, oh, Canada or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, Charles, what's your view of that? I think that the big driving issue will be climate change. If Biden gets there, there is no doubt that the um, U.S. will very quickly recommit to the targets outlined in the Paris agreement. And you'll see a lot of movement in terms of energy efficiency, fuel efficiency. Uh, he's not opposed to fracking um, writ large. He is opposed to fracking on public lands. I think he, he's realistic enough about the importance of the American energy industry to realize that he, he doesn't want to tank it in one fell swoop. But really, climate change will be the big driver. And in terms of the Canadian context, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a shot in the arm for what uh, Justin Trudeau has been doing, because it'll mean for the first time in nearly four years, Canada is in line with its biggest trading partner in terms of climate change policy. And equally, it's a problem for Aaron O'Toole, because at some point, I think it, it, it could very well be the thing, Biden's election, that forces the Conservatives to embrace some form of carbon pricing. Otherwise, they just won't be taken seriously on the issue of carbon on, uh, on climate change. Karen? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, to be an, as an observer, the, um, the whole election has been, you know, Trump, anti-Trump. And well, yeah. so it hasn't, um, there's, there is a little bit of uncertainty, actually, what happens if either one of them gets elected. Because Trump, I mean, he's erratic at the best of times, and now he actually has no agenda. And Biden, you know, he's, he's made some talking points to keep his party together. But to be candid, I don't, I don't even know what to expect from a Democrat uh, presidency either. But what I do think is that Canada will be better able to advance its own initiatives and its own, um, the things that matter to Canadians with a democratic president, because again, that, th- that whole, the whole relationship I think is a little bit undefined and we would be better able to define it with a democratic presidency than with the current Trump presidency, which again, that, that there's no influencing that presidency is just responding and, and, and mitigation. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, they, he's difficult to deal with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's an understatement. <laughs> uh, I have to say one one thing where I do agree with him is that if if he's defeated, it, it's going to be bad for uh, American news networks. I mean, <laughs> you think about it. I mean, when I, uh, my husband and I turn on CNN at home, I, I call it Trumpland because that it's, it is all, and, and it's a fairly cheap programming. They have these, uh, commentators and they talk about Trump incessantly <laughs> all day, every day and nothing else. And, yeah. uh, it's probably, I, I don't get Fox. I, I wish I did because that would, you know, give some insight. But, um, you know, uh, what, what are people going to, talk about i think it's it's going to be uh difficult for their news business certainly the television news business if trump is defeated well yeah especially the two the two networks are going to be the most hit uh and most affected by this are fox and cnn uh to your point cnn you know that's all they focus on is trump if he's no longer president i just don't know what they're going to be able to talk about anymore and and fox you know, has a little bit more of, 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 a, of a mix, but nonetheless, they're all, they're all pro-Trump. And, and again, 
they, they're going to have to find and scramble for news, I think, at some point. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, we're basically out of time. I'm going to go around 20 seconds. Uh, what should we look for tonight? What are you especially looking for tonight, starting with Karen? Yeah, I'll be looking at a couple of the key states, you know, which you've talked about, Florida, North Carolina, Texas, and uh, I think that'll really set the tone for what's ahead. Charles? Oh, obviously, uh, who gets to be president when this is all over, keeping in mind that even if Trump loses, he's still there for another two and a half months. Uh, What I'll be looking for is what's happening at the senatorial level. Uh, in places like Arizona and Texas and Georgia and Maine and Colorado. Because if it is a wave election, then there's every reason to expect that the Democrats will, in fact, take both the House and the Senate along with the White House. And, you know, wave elections are very simple. You know, you're either the, you're either the windscreen or you're the bug. And it sure looks like uh, the Republicans are, are the bug on their way to meeting the windscreen the windscreen at high speed. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see you, John. You're, you're 20 seconds. <laughs> How can you beat that analogy or that metaphor? But no, I think, I think for me, the, the, uh, who, what the candidates say uh, by way of any concession tonight or, or not, that's going to be something that I'll be watching for. But more importantly, the Senate. That's the, uh, the holy grail for, uh, for any president. If they, if, they want, if they win, they want to control the Senate. We'll see if some of those key Senate races are going to flip. Okay, well, uh, the world will be different when we talk again next week. Thank you so much. Charles Bird, Karen Stinson, John Capobianco, and happy birthday to the two of you. Happy birthday. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, Libby. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.